On this episode of the podcast, I have with me Jonathan Hunt. He is the VP of Information Security at GitLab. We're going to be talking about some of the challenges of implementing security sooner, especially on the DevOps side. I know we're going to be talking about the shift left into DevSecOps, and I think Jonathan's going to have uh, some pointers and tips in terms of how people can approach the shift left, shift right, depending on where you're coming from and where your maturity is at your organization. Jonathan, thanks for being on the podcast. Thanks, Amir. It's a pleasure to be here. I'll dive right in. As Amir mentioned, I'm Jonathan Hunt, VP of Information Security at GitLab. GitLab itself is a complete end-to-end DevOps platform. And what the purpose of the software is, is we create a unified and simplified approach at creating a single DevOps platform that helps customers honestly succeed in every phase of the development lifecycle. And my role at GitLab is, as VP of InfoSec, it's really the complete ownership of all things security, if you will. So I have three sub-departments. One is a security engineering team that has uh, includes application security, security automation, security research. I also have a security operations sub-department, which includes the security incident response team. It includes infrastructure security. It also includes trust and safety, which is abuse of the platform. And we have an internal red team. And lastly, we have a security assurance sub-department. And that sub-department is the compliance team, the field security team, and the risk management team. Altogether, we're approximately 10 teams and 50 people. So GitLab takes security very seriously. And I'm very fortunate to be uh, on top of this program. So yeah, absolutely excited to have you on the podcast and cover some ground with you. And I know you know before we started recording, we're talking about shifting left the security, which is the you know big talk within the security space, getting into the engineering side. But we were also talking about what happens in terms of helping engineering teams, especially the DevOps team, shifting right. And you were starting to talk about some of the ramifications of waiting. And I think that's a good place to start at and then kind of talk about you know some of the thoughts around how to implement security sooner. Yeah, I think there are some real consequences to sort of like maintaining the status quo, the way the traditional AppSec approach works. I think that we've tried this for a decade. I think it's proven that it's not working the way we expected or the way we want it to. And the reason is, is because we're just identifying stuff too late, right? We're trying to fix security after the fact. And we think about the traditional AppSec approach. The software teams or the development teams work in this silo. They're producing features or software. They're pushing it out to production. And at that point, the AppSec teams take over, right? They jump in. We're running scans. We're doing dynamic aesthetic analysis. We have all these findings. And then, of course, then we're partnering with development and then trying to fix these vulnerabilities. And we have these, you know, severity classes. There's critical and highs and mediums and lows. And, and they each have different timelines. And we're trying to drive these tickets or issues, if you will, with development, which means a couple different things. One is that they have to stop working on what they're working on for the next release to then go fix these vulnerabilities. They're doing it in different stages of the sort of the software development. They're under different timelines if we want to meet compliance requirements and SLAs for customers. Overall, it is an enormous interruption and slowdown to the process. And I guess when you're starting to look at, you know, if you were to look at any average org that doesn't have a great, I guess, DevSecOps team, right? Security is a little bit further at the end of the process, a little bit after the fact. If you're approaching a company like that and you had to begin the thoughts of, hey, we need to shift left or, or implement security sooner. Are there any particular 
initial starting points? I mean, is, is it all about the tooling and frameworks? Is that you have to kind of focus on that first or where do you attack? I think there's a couple different approaches that you need to consider. Yes, of course, most people immediately jump to the tooling, right? We're thinking is what can we automate? Can we put in like automated scanners sooner? Can we look at dependency scanning? Can we look at local agent scanners such as like a SNCC or something or like a SNCC IO? Whereas what I'm going to ask you to do is consider first your alignment, right? I want you to think about the development and product teams and security teams. Are we aligned on a unified vision? Like, what are we trying to accomplish, right? Are we trying to be, you know, faster and more secure? Are we looking to beat out our competition and meet our compliance requirements and prevent a breach? So if we can agree on a singular vision of having a secure and fast delivery of our products and services, then we can take a look at how, now, how do we do that? Is it by scanning after the fact and identifying vulnerabilities after the fact and, you know, doing a risk assessment or a risk analysis of third-party dependencies once everything's in production? Or should we do it earlier and fix everything faster and identify everything sooner to provide a more secure product? at the end. Do you think when obviously you're beginning the conversations of alignment, I know you got to change some things culturally, you got to you know, identify a champion, all those things have to happen. When you're evaluating, I guess, the actual physical implementation, right? You know, you're obviously tooling frameworks are, are one thing and then skill sets another. You need to actually have people do the work. DevSecOps is really new. It's still not a common skill set out there that you can find. And I see a lot of organizations challenged with trying to find the right person for that role. And obviously, you know, DevOps is becoming a little bit more of a formal role. It's, you know, five, 10 years old and, and you know, organizations are still struggling to find those people. Where do you potentially go to find the right skill set to actually start the actual physical work, right? I mean, you got to pick the tooling, all the frameworks, the alignment, but the actual physical work has to be done by somebody at the end of the day. So what we found is that there's some of these skill sets really are covered by a lot of the organization already, right? We have cert teams, we have operations teams that already understand what the life cycle looks like and what different uh, dependencies are and you know how to write Python scripts. And they're already experienced with some of this stuff. And then on the other side of that is application security. And they also cover some of these skills. So really, maybe it's a matter of rather than looking for opening a job rec for a DevSecOps engineer and trying to identify what this criteria is and looking for someone that has had this title for the last seven years, maybe it's really a matter of just assessing and evaluating the current skill sets of your security team and see, you know, is this skill covered? And if not, then maybe this is how we need to expand our current teams or our future hiring, right? So for sure, like you said, the idea behind like what DevSecOps is, is still very new. It's also evolving, you know, over the last several years. In addition to that, it's even interpreted differently by different people and different companies and different industry experts. And so you see a lot of different definitions of what DevSecOps is. So what I would implore you to do is look specifically at the skills you're trying to meet, at the gaps you're trying to fill, and look at that and maybe be a little less focused on maybe a term or an identified title and maybe look more at the skills and the gaps that you're trying to fulfill. It's interesting. I think a lot of companies are struggling with this because a lot of times they're trying to solve a problem that they think is maybe 
more complicated, right? I guess they're thinking if they're you have a VP of engineering that's just you know they're from the software engineering world and they're trying to solve some of the security problems. They don't have a you know VP of information security or chief information security officer on staff. They're trying to focus on solving the problem. They think I'm going to take a software engineer who understands security to help us write more secure code. And I think some of the challenges is then they try to find this unicorn of a person while there's probably other things they could do. And I know, obviously, if there's tools out there that help you automate some of the process or kind of streamline it so that you don't have the talent, I think that's probably something that a lot of orgs would benefit from. Yeah, so two different things there. One is automation is key. Part of shifting left is really about improving security in your software development lifecycle, right? And, and how do we do that? Well, sure, some of it's education, some of it's training, some of it's increasing skill sets and getting different teams involved and building synergy. And of course, all of that, right? Like we know this. But the effectiveness of this is still dependent on limits, right? It's limited to just how experienced that developer is or just how educated that maybe that AppSec engineer is or how well they know how to identify, you know, vulnerabilities within the code. Automated tools are substantially more effective at identifying not only vulnerabilities and dependencies and version control and issues within your code base, but they do it faster. They do it with faster results. And they also do it, again, through automation. It can do it through a multi-step process. So maybe it's, it's not only performing the scanning, but then it's generating a ticket within your ticketing system. And then maybe it's you know that much more easier to triage those and assign DRIs and then to begin working towards remediation. Yeah, absolutely. And, it, and that makes sense. And I think um, I actually had a software engineer turned VP of information security to talk about build versus buy. And I think kind of fits a little the context of what you're mentioning. I mean, when it comes to build versus buy, right? Obviously, engineers like to build you know, in security space, you want to find the optimal tool for the job and you want to solve it. When it comes to that build versus buy, what is the that threshold that you see of going, you know what, we should take this product that's out on the market. It's really very close to what we want versus potentially trying to build something in our own or for a specific tool or whatnot. So I'm a little biased on this. I'm going to warn you ahead of time. <laughs> <laughs> so and then we could talk about this topic for a very long time. I'm going to try to give you some highlights here. So I am pro buy, and here's the reasons why. So first and foremost, you buy it, you have it now, right? Of course, there's an implementation timeline. I get that. And of course, maybe there's a learning curve potentially. But I would argue that there's the same learning curve with a development team building a tool and then some other team owning that tool and running that tool. I would say there's a learning curve there. And supporting the tool. And supporting the tool, yes. And I would also say in terms of implementation timeline, if you buy it, yes, you have it. Now you have to implement it. Maybe that takes time. But building this tool takes as much time, I would say, or more, you know, or potentially less. But here's the thing, right? Here's the thing. Your company has a mission. They have a goal. They're producing a product or a service. And, and that's their expertise. And that's what they're focused on, right? And all the developers and your entire engineering staff is focused on that purpose. If you want to go build something that's out of your domain, right, out of your company's purview to simply save some money, I think you're risking a couple different things. One is you're risking the expertise and experience of building maybe a different type of tool. I think you're risking challenges with that tool. 
maybe not understanding how to build that tool, right? Whereas a company that is dedicated or focused, let's say we're talking a vulnerability scanner, you know, pick any of your favorite ones, their entire company is focused on that one tool. That is their purpose. So they have, you know, thousands of employees, you know, tens of thousands of hours in implementing, you know, developing that tool. And chances are it's going to be a better tool off the shelf than it is that you can build. I'm saying typically, right? I'm not saying in every scenario, but typically it's going to be a better tool. It's going to be more robust. It's going to be more developed. It's going to be more mature. It's immediately available. And speaking from a security perspective, I can tell you I'm definitely pro buy because I want that tool and I want it now because I am focused on security. I want to secure my company. I want to secure my customer and I want to secure our data. And I would rather do that today than wait six months for a tool to be built. Absolutely. And I think it makes a lot of sense. And I think if the organization is building capabilities and, and it could pick smaller tools too. I mean, obviously vulnerability scanners are, I mean, if you have a use case where you need to build versus buy that probably you, know, you can justify that potentially. And I think even smaller tools and you know, everything is as a code. I think the support side of that's interesting because obviously in the context of software engineering for the product, all focus is on building that because you got to ship, you got to deliver, you want to grow customers. When it comes to the security component, there's efficiencies. But for a lot of orgs that I'm, you know, we talked to in terms of hiring on the security side, there's a big ramp up in a learning curve. And it's almost taking a software engineer and teaching them those things. And that gap is pretty big. And I think what you just alluded to, I mean, probably makes a lot of sense for a majority of the orgs out there. It is. It is really challenging. I've seen it both ways in the organization. Obviously, if you're buying something, you know what you're getting, a tried and true solution. Maybe it's a, a new startup. But either way, you have a dedicated support channel for that, right? Built into your contract or available at the company that you purchased the product from or the service from. Internally, where does support land? Does it land with the team that built it? Does it land with the team that they handed it off to that's running it? Does it land with Someone else, I mean, is that the team that you handed off to? Do they are they able to get in and fix, you know, coding vulnerabilities or coding errors or bugs or defects? And then, like you said, like if it's not the team that's running it, if it's a team that built it, what's their priority? Are they focused on something else? You know, do they have time to support the product or do they have time to fix it going forward? So a lot of challenges there, I think, with building and maintaining that over time. And honestly, I didn't obviously touch on the financial aspect of this. Of course, everybody has a budget. Everybody has to you know, stick within that budget. I do get that. And I did leave that out for a reason. Because how do you evaluate? And I know there's models out there that do this. But think about the cost of buying a tool today with a fixed number. And the cost is going to take engineering hours and ongoing support for a tool going forward forever, right? And again, I don't want to get into the modeling or the algorithms of, of how do you you know, assess a formulaic financial cost to building something, but it can be done. I think it's typically more expensive to build and maintain over time than it is to buy. We could probably do a whole episode on the uh, ROI of <laughs> build versus <laughs> buy. I think that opens up lots of areas that we could explore. I was going to say, I'm, I'm cognizant of the time. And um, if somebody does want to reach out to kind of pick your brain on, you know, build versus buy or where they start in terms of implementing security sooner into their security program or their software, what's a good avenue to touch base either LinkedIn, Twitter, any other social that, that they can connect with you on? Yeah, I appreciate that, Amir. Yeah, LinkedIn is really the best place to reach out to me. That's where most of my network lives. That's where most people reach out to me. And then definitely I've connected heavily through my networks and connected heavily through the software industry that I'm in. 
Awesome. Now I appreciate it. I will we'll definitely make sure we include uh, your LinkedIn in the show notes, and I'm sure people will reach out to follow up with you. And I always ask for two things uh, from everyone out there. One is if you have a topic you want me to cover, please uh, let me know on, on LinkedIn. And then the other is keep sharing the podcast. It's growing and uh, very excited that we're able to have Jonathan on the podcast to talk to you guys. And hopefully we'll bring you more guests like this. Jonathan, thanks for being on and sharing everything uh, that you did. Thank you. It was a pleasure to be here. Absolutely. And that's it for this episode. We'll be back until next time. Thanks. Thanks. 